Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 2014 The Legal Geeks Year in Review. We have a great panel of guests today, including Vivian Obarski, the editor of The Learned Fangirl. Vivian, how are you? Good. How about you? Doing well, thank you. Jerry O'Brien, political consultant and novelist in New York. Jerry, how are you? I'm well. We have Jessica Bennett, who is a stunt woman, actor, and educator in Los Angeles. Jessica, Hi. how are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys? Fantastic. Good. And our good friend, Judge Matthew Sherino, who is the Acting Justice uh, Supreme Court at Kings County in New York. Happy New Year. Hello, Your Honor. Well, everyone, thank you for joining us for our 2014 year in review. And we had a lot of great geek things. Jessica, could you introduce our first guest? Sure. Thanks, Josh. Good to see you. Very excited about our year in review. I'm here today actually with Vivian. She is, in addition to being a fellow blogger, a friend, and a fellow mom uh, here in Wisconsin. And so we have bonded over TV stuff and one TV show in particular that we both adore and that we're here to discuss today, and that is The Great Primetime Soap by Chandra Rhimes, Scandal. <laughs> Vivian, how are you? Good. How about you? Doing well, thank you. So, okay, so have you been a, scan a fan of Scandal from the beginning? No, I came in at the beginning of season three. Um, oh. It started as like, my friends were talking about it on Twitter. And so, you know, I'd see them talking back and forth and it was basically, this is bananas. You have to watch this show. It's insane. <laughs> and I started, um, and I was looking for something to kind of watch while I was knitting. Huh? And so, and Netflix has it. So I started streaming it, and by the end of the first episode, I was like, this is perfect. I'm in. I, it's ridiculous. I have to watch this. It is. It grabs you right away. I did the same thing, actually. I got season one on Netflix mm -hmm. and yep. caught up, did that instant streaming. And, you know, especially any of these shows, I think the Netflix model where you can watch a whole bunch at once is such a good way to get hooked, too. Oh, it gets totally. you much more hooked than having to wait week yeah. after week after week. Yeah. So, um, yeah, having all those, and it does, and every season has just been crazier than the season before. I keep waiting yeah. to see what they're going to do next. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think my thing has been, while I like that, I'm also finding it harder with the writing yeah. at times in terms of believability. I know we've talked about, like, the election and were all the voters drunk? <laughs> Was the Democrat Party... I don't know who's running these parties, but nothing in the scandal universe politically makes sense to me. Right. I think they were drinking bottles of wine, similar to like how Olivia Pope only lives on red wine and popcorn. Yes, that's true. Yeah. And her wine parties. I now have a wine party because of her. I just want to sit around on my big couch with some fabulous cardigan on and drinking big glasses of expensive red wine. It I'm like, that is awesome. It has to be white, though, because I know I, I don't get it. She's, yes, that's way too scary. Woman. I know. Red wine yeah. is just a danger. If I have white clothes on and red wine, they're, yeah, they're mixing. Um. So, yeah, so the political stuff is obviously insane. Mm -hmm. um, the president fits, well, I do still think the whole, you know, he and what he and Kerry Washington have, um, or Olivia Pope, yeah. is a very steamy 
I'm like, he is a petulant little brat. So I'm like, how is this guy president? And why are all these smart, strong people supporting him? Fitz is useless. He is, he's useless. Um, my best friend who I write um, kind of like a scandal column together where we're just talking armchair quarterbacking, I guess, <laughs> where she's, she compared him to a baby otter, only not as cute. <laughs> He's absolutely useless. He is the worst. Everyone basically has picked up on it. Um, it's, I don't understand politically how he works because he doesn't really have a vision. Someone tells him what to do, he'll do it. And then 20 seconds later, someone also tells him something else to do, and he'll do that. And there's a certain point where I'm just like, you're useless. You're a puppet. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, maybe that's why Sai is so powerful powerful he's yeah. got an actual vision as to what the presidency should be yeah you know Cy certainly does and I think maybe even Olivia is starting to realize that because obviously one of the biggest parts of last when I say last season I really mean I guess the first half of this yeah. past season right because they do this thing now with that winter finale oh, yeah. and so now yeah. we have to wait until I think end of February I think or uh, January 29th oh all right, hi this is bad. stamped in my brain <laughs> <laughs> Like, end of the day, but Olivia is starting to get into Jake, right? And mm -hmm. so the whole setup between Jake, you know, and his old Navy buddy, the president, yeah. and their little fight over mm -hmm. um, Olivia is pretty entertaining. What do you think of that whole thing? It is, but really, I think that I'm overfits. So I don't, so I guess for me, it's to the point now of Jake is just better. I don't know if he's exactly the person for her. I think people have been like, she should just. Um, choose herself and just call it a day. Yes. Because really, she doesn't seem, she's kind of a serial monogamous. She doesn't seem to function well unless she's in a relationship. But the problem is, is she can't handle a stable relationship. I keep thinking back to, I think it was season two, where she was telling like an ex-boyfriend, I want dangerous love. I want this love. I want something love. I was like, you have, Wuthering Heights is not a <laughs> manual on how to do a relationship. Right. You are not a teenage girl. Yeah, but she's treating it like a teenage girl. I think Jake at least has his interests, best interests for her. He's like, whatever you want to do, I'm there for you. Fitz basically, I think her dad said it best. He sees her as an exit yeah. and a way out and an object. At times when he talks about her, it gets really creepy for me. Yeah. Because it's like, it's about sex. It's about having. It's not what do you want? It's more of, I want you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I thought, and legally, of course, since we are the legal geeks, I thought it was interesting the whole when um, basically the president was trying to claim, and everybody knew that Jake had not killed his son, but he yeah. was willing to believe it. And then, of course, he has him um, in some sort of prison setup. And, of course, then the president feels the need to beat him up. And as Jake even says, you're not beating me up because you think I killed your son. You're beating me up because I took away your girlfriend kind of thing. Yeah. But the president, and you know, it is a whole interesting thing, obviously, ever since 9-11, the whole writ of habeas corpus, mm -hmm. and can somebody be detained indefinitely? Yeah. Um, you know, arguably, as a citizen, no, you should not be able to. There are some people that argue there are a few decisions that have made that a little bit ambiguous. Mm -hmm. But as a general rule, as a citizen, um, you should not be detained. And so, obviously, in the fit. That was where, you know, they try to throw in something to make him seem a little bit honorable once in a while. And so he would say at different times, you know, no, 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 Jake's going to get a proper trial and everything. But in the meantime, I'm going to keep him down in this room and beat him up and, you know, do all that sort of nonsense. So Well, that brings up the other question as to the legality of B613 as a government agency. Because, and I come from more of a journalism reporter background. 
so a lot of B613 that I look at, I it just doesn't make sense as how a government agency should work. I'm, I mean, but this gets into like the whole conspiracy idea mm-hmm. of like there's always a secret shadow society running the government. Right. Yeah. Which is common. Of course, that is a question, right? This whole idea of this command and that he's there to protect the republic, not just one presidency. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, all of a sudden is that a fourth uh, branch of government outside mm-hmm. of the three branches yeah. of government set up by the Constitution? You know, what kind of congressional but, oversight if this is under like administrative agency law? Mm-hmm. Even his appointment, too. I mean, because the president can only appoint his principal officers with the consent of the Senate. And so if he's just willy-nilly changing out people as leader of command. Well, well, also with each election, isn't there always a new cabinet? Yeah. So then how is it that command retains his power throughout all the presidential turnovers? Yeah, that's you know? true. Who appoints command, in other words? Because you're right. Because well, you're saying, I mean, the president, yes, he gets to appoint his mm-hmm. cabinet. So yeah. each time there's a new president, he gets to appoint a new cabinet. Exactly. Yeah. And, but yeah, they don't even know a lot of times about um, command or what's going on over there. So the total lack of government oversight. Oh, Josh, our academic historian expert, wants to chime in. Please do. So, Grant, I do not watch the show because I am not the target demographic. And from what you're describing, I probably throw things at the TV set. That being said, <laughs> this is where you drink the wine and just go. It's a show. Oh, yeah, the I- wine relaxes me. <laughs> Good. It's, I tried that last night with something on Netflix, and it backfired horribly. Regardless, <laughs> it could, this position could be like the director of the FBI, because that could be for a term of years appointed by one president and then could go into mm-hmm. another term, which you saw with Robert Mueller, uh, who's mm-hmm. director of the FBI from, uh, you know, under, under uh, Bush to Obama. And so yeah. it, it could be something like that. But... The fact that you have somebody who was in the Bush administration who's like helping produce the show, you think mm-hmm. they at least think about that? And frequently you have the creative team that actually does understand that stuff and it ends up on the cutting room floor because they don't want to get too technical. Uh, right, you don't want to get bogged down. But here it is clear with command that there really isn't any presidential oversight. Um, they don't have a direct you know, line item budget. He just views himself again as loyal not to the president or to the constitution, well, well, that, even, well, that to the was, republic. Well, that's interesting what you said about the budget because they've talked about this about when they were trying to find information. And basically, what B613 has done is take like tiny bits of money out of different departments, kind of like it's kind of like rifling through your parents' pockets for spare change. Mm-hmm. And then you found the 20 and you grab the 20 and run off with it, claiming it was yours. <laughs> That's what B613 is kind of doing with the government so in general. It sounds like he is like J. Edgar Hoover and having been in power for decades. Exactly. Yeah. But it's a secret branch, yeah. which is really creepy mm-hmm. and like not yeah. how we do business here. Yeah. And also, apparently, um, you have, I will say this, apparently also it is extraordinarily vulnerable to being shut down, which like... As I was telling Jess, it's like when you don't pay your cable bill for a month and all of a sudden, boom, you're yeah. done. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is a bit absurd at the end there. But Bad Daddy, uh, Carrie's dad, as a lead of command, is awesome. And I would think of him as, isn't he the scientist from Terminator? 
Terminator You're right. Two. Yes, he is. I always thought of him as a big guy scientist from Terminator mm-hmm. Two, and now he's playing Bad Daddy. So, but he's gotten some really good speeches. Oh, he's and, freaking awesome. Yeah, I, I, we've we've always liked the phrase either Papa Pope or Darth Huxtable <laughs> because of the sweater. Oh, the whole Huxtable because thing, of, too because crazy. of the, because of the sweaters. Darth yeah. Huxtable has been the one thing that's cracked us up. Um, he's he's gotten some really interesting speeches. I think that this gets into one thing that we've talked about on our blog about um, race. And there are certain things that he has said that I don't think some people are getting, but it's like, if you grew up with it, you're getting it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the whole thing about Stevie Wonder and songs in the key of life. I didn't get that. My best friend had to tell me, she's like, Oh no, if you are a black if you're an African-American of a certain age, Songs of the Key of Life is huge in your upbringing. So that's why he played that card with Olivia. It was playing on guilt and stuff. Also, his, him and also her mother and their anger at her basically leaving them behind is more than just, um, is more than just, you know, her abandoning her family. There's a certain thing where it's like, if you listen to what, uh, Rowan is saying he's saying things like you're abandoning us you're abandoning and it turns into like you're abandoning your culture your background who you are for basically two white boys yeah and I don't and I don't think people everyone picks up on this but I've picked it up and my best friend who is African-American has picked up on it but I've also seen Rowan differently I see him as like a first generation immigrant dad like the tiger like there was that book tiger mom that came out about you know pushing your kids to excellence and assimilating into society and that's the one thing that i've always that i found fascinating about rowan is that when i look at his background i feel in the way olivia was raised i feel like she's second generation immigrant almost not necessarily as a matter of coming to a different country but being pushed into a different socioeconomic group because all, they've given indications as to who he is. He grew up in Detroit. We can assume that he, and he's always said he's worked his way to the top. Right. So we can assume he started out with not much money, maybe went into the military, was very good at intelligence, and then through work raised himself up through the ranks. Yeah. Now his daughter, though, when you when they did that episode, the beginning of third episode, the third season, the premiere, they talked about Olivia's background. And basically at age 12, she was shoved off to boarding schools in Switzerland. Right. She got the very fancy education. But she's, but think about the groups that she's hanging with. Mm-hmm. She does, and he's also cut her off from her background and essential things of her identity. So she's creating a new identity of her own. And that kind of happens sometimes with such second generation immigrants. It, which, you know, I've kind of experienced where you kind of lose a sense of your background and your culture because you, your parents are trying to get you to assimilate mm-hmm. into society, into what they see as like the good parts of society. And then there's like that weird disconnect conflict over, well, you're giving up your background, you're giving up your culture, you're giving up us. Yeah. And then it's like, well, you pushed me into this, right. you know, kind of feeling. Well, that actually kind of leads into what happened then at the very end of the winter finale, where basically the dad says, all right, Olivia, you think you've gotten here on your own, 
I have been there to help you and protect you at every single step of the way. Mm -hmm. And now you're going to find out what life is like without me. So I was like, that's going to be very interesting. They're setting it up for, does he go away completely when the show comes back? Or is he going to start working actively against her? But I'm like, Fudge, you know, her life has been pretty rough with her dad supposedly helping her. I'm like, I don't know if you're going to be better or worse off when your dad's not around to so-called help you. I don't know. Because she's done a lot of running to dad, too, to be yeah. honest with you. She's done... I'm trying to think. Well, she's also done running to Fitz. She's done running to Jake. She's done running to, she, she basically does a lot of running. <laughs> People run to her too. So yeah. 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 A- yeah. But I feel like it's going to be weird. That whole scene that we're talking about with the records and trying to guilt her and that she would pull the gun on her dad and try to shoot him. The gun was unloaded by the way. Cause he knew she might. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think he's just not going to be around and it's going to be harder. What was even funnier was watching her and her mom and how tired her mom was of this. <laughs> Cause that was hilarious for me yeah. where she's like, are you just going to keep coming here and yelling at me? Yeah. Because I felt like she was, I felt like in a way the writers were also making fun of the fact that they always give that really good speech to Joe Morden, who plays um, Rowan, who plays Rowan, Bad Hull. Daddy, Bad Dad, yeah. Darth Huxtable. <laughs> it will be interesting to see what happens when they come back. Um, well, she's kidnapped, also supposedly. Oh, I forgot yeah. about that part. Holy fudge, that's right. I have, a, I have a really good memory for really trivial stuff. Oh, that's right. Well, that's the whole thing too. And the vice president is stalking her and working. Okay, can, can I with say the this head right of the now? RNC. I don't understand what's going on with the vice president. He was supposedly had a thing for the first Nelly, lady. Love for the like, first lady forever. Bellamy Young has been robbed of an Emmy nomination. I am still <laughs> angry about that. She is awesome. Yeah. Um. But he supposedly carried a torch for her for how many years? Yeah. And now he's stooping the RNC head? Yeah. I'm com- I think, yeah, they have, they're struggling there with what to do with that. Um, I like the whole Cy is married now, uh, which I guess is because gay marriage laws have passed. I, I think it's also, it's also playing around with the trope of, well, we have to be married. Right. Forcing people together. Yes. I'm, I don't know. I, the guy, eh. But I liked James and how snarky he and Cy were together. And they were, they, if you watch soaps, like I grew up with soaps, they were for me, Alexis Carrington and Dexter from Dynasty, <laughs> that battle back and forth for power. It was so awesome. Yeah. And then they kill James, and I'm still annoyed. I know. Although he is cute on Marry Me. Have you seen him on Marry Me? No, I haven't. Yeah, he plays one of the gay dads on Marry Me. They canceled it. But did they? Yeah. It was a little too try hard. All right, Ty, well, we're off topic. But Scandal will be coming back in less than a month, it turns out. Yes. It is crazy. They do make reference to laws, but they totally disregard laws. That's why it's much more fun to be a TV lawyer than a real lawyer, of course. Mm-hmm. Although, oh, it's also, think... it's also more fun to be a TV journalist than a real journalist. That's true. <laughs> I mean, they have purred happily from Parks and Recreation. And I, I, purred. I know. I I've, I've now have a headcanon that Parks and Rec and Scandal exist in the same universe. <laughs> And that Tom Haverford and um, Harrison Wright, before Harrison got killed, used to go to college together. That would have been awesome. I have, I've told my friends this, and they're like, you are very right, but also insane. (laughs) 
I see fanfic there. Maybe Chandra, a new show. Yes, please. <laughs> Chandra's looking for a fourth show. Um, all right. Well, Vivian, thank you much. Thank you so much, though, for taking the time to talk to us today. Oh, this no was problem. fun. Yeah, this was. <laughs> I learned a <clears throat> Pardon me. I learned a lot about <laughs> scandal. And <laughs> yeah, I, um, uh, I, I, I don't think I'll pick it up, but it's nice to see that you both love it so much. And it was, even with all of its craziness, it's, yeah, I, 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 I can't do it. I just can't do it, but you love it. And I enjoy it. You have the same reaction my husband does. He walks in, he looks and he's like, I'm, I'm leaving. <laughs> I'll be in the there, I know a lot of guys who are into it, though. Yeah. No, there are guys who are into yeah. it. He's act, he actually will sit down next to me, and he'll watch stuff, and he's like, that is not how intelligence works, and he just starts screaming. <laughs> Your husband and I would probably hang out and probably do well together. So with that, thank you so much for your time. So, Jerry, would you agree that 2014 would be remembered as a marvelous year? It certainly would. You know, for a 75-year-old, Marvel is showing that it has a lot of life left in it. You know, from introducing Kazar, their pulp magazine version of Tarzan back in 1936, and then a few years later with Marvel Comics number one in 39 with characters like the Human Torch and the Submariner, Marvel has spent the last eight decades introducing hundreds of comic book heroes and now it's the Supreme Box Office ruler finishing up its second phase of films with the, the Avengers Age of Ultron coming out in May. Well, let's talk about 14 because I mean, you and I have geeked out pretty substantially over this over the past year because those are the type of guys we are. But let's talk about the, the, the big events in Marvel this year from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. to Captain America the Winter Soldier and Guardians of the Galaxy. And why don't we start with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and your impressions of 14? Well, what they did with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was basically refocus the show in the final few episodes after the events of The Winter Soldier. S.H.I.E.L.D. has turned out to be nothing but a, a Hydra uh, conspiracy. It's a covert organization. It's been overtaken by the group that the Nazis used for deep science in the 1940s. Nick Fury is believed dead, but is actually out there, you know, gone to ground and trying to hunt out who else did what to who, where, and how when he was running S.H.I.E.L.D. What they did with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is make it a much tighter drama, uh, and they made them the underdogs. Before, they had this huge budget. They could fly anywhere in the world, entree to world leaders, and now they're hunted not just by the U.S. government, but by Hydra, the group that had infiltrated them. And they threw a little more gasoline on the fire by introducing one of the oldest races in the Marvel continuity, the Inhumans, who are going to be the subject of their own film, I think, in 2018. So they've got, they've really put themselves with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. at the center of the Marvel Universe. Characters from the film universe have come into the show. Events from the film universe have affected the show. And now you're seeing them use Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. to test out and introduce concepts and characters and, and races that will be the focus of entire film franchises. Jerry, this is Jess. Do you think, we've talked a lot about how Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., 
gives more background and depth to the Marvel movie universe. Um, how, you know, you don't need to do all that kind of background and some of that minutia in the movies because you can do a lot of that for those, the geeks who want it. You can do that on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Does that mean, do you think Marvel considers Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. important enough that even if it never really takes off in the ratings, they'll continue to use that TV show? Whereas if it were a standalone TV show at some point, you know, it could get canceled. Yeah, in marketing or, or uh, business terms, I guess you'd consider it a loss leader. They, yeah. know, they can take a little bit of a hit on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. if it doesn't have stellar ratings, if it, if it doesn't produce the most advertising revenue, simply because it's a weekly showcase that they can use to promote other films that are coming out or to develop themes for films we won't see for almost a decade. And it'll be interesting to see how they continue with that because we have a lot of time until 2018 for the Inhumans. So what will they do? Uh, the fact that they just announced Edward James almost will, will be on the show as a recurring character. I really hope to God they, they get him to say things like, how do I reach these kids? Uh, so say we all, I mean, it would be fun if we could work in a little, uh, you know, a little Blade Runner as well, but I, I dare to dream. And hopefully he'll last longer than his Battlestar Galactic or co-star who was in one episode and then killed by the very end credits. Ooh, yeah. who is that? Oh, Lawless. Uh, Lucy Lawless from uh, Xena Warrior Princess. They, they built her up as this grand new addition to the cast. And, you know, by the end of the first episode, she was deader than a doornail. Yeah, I was disappointed by that death because I really like her and I thought this would be an awesome place for her to return. Um, it seemed like she was going to be central to it and then they do kill her off right away and I did not understand that at all. That was a real disappointment. I guess they were trying to show that you know the stakes were real, that anybody you know can be killed off much like Ned Stark was in the first season of Game of Thrones. Well, and that's a Joss Whedon move too. I mean, he's always done that. He's always been willing to kill off beloved characters like Tara, you know. Um, back in his Buffy the Vampire days. Anya. But Anya, yes. Oh, that was a final. So I'm like, that doesn't count as much, the finale. But um, but still, to build her up in one episode and then kill her off. I mean, that is like the Drew Barrymore scream kind of move, I guess. But still disappointing. And who knows? Uh, with the Terrigen Mist that they showed in the finale, it's, it's science fiction. It's superheroes. Dead is not always dead. <laughs> This is true, and we will see what they do with that, even though I would expect someone to be smarter than to open the sealed container with the object so dangerous we don't know what it does and somebody to grab it with their bare hand. That was, that was a little lazy writing on their part, but that's, yeah. uh, I digress. Uh, let's, let's move uh, on to Captain America because when I saw it, I fully geeked out. I mean, it, it, it honored the comic very well, and it was fun, and it was dark, and it was a political thriller. Uh, we've talked about it extensively in the past, but share with us your, your thoughts. Well, I think the, the big thing here with 2014 that Marvel did, and, and they started it with Captain America, but you see it rippling across the year and, and into next year and the rest of the decade. Marvel threw down the gauntlet and made it clear they're not just a producer of superhero films. They now create top-notch box office blockbusters in a variety of genres that just happen to star superheroes. Captain America, The Winter Soldier, was a tight, tense political thriller, very rep reminiscent of 70s films like Three Days of the Condor. 
And it didn't just expand and enhance the Marvel Universe we knew. It blew it into pieces. What we talked about before by revealing that S.H.I.E.L.D. was actually corrupted and controlled by HYDRA. Um, now, that's something that a lot of franchises don't do. Can you imagine James Bond finding out that His Majesty's Secret Service is actually controlled by a, a foreign government? You know, this is pretty serious stuff. You know, so they're not afraid to take the superhero genre and go off into very different areas with it. And previously, we've seen what we call the global Marvel Universe, the Captain Americas, the Hulk, Iron Man. You've seen also the Marvel mythological universe with Thor and the various races from Asgard. What they've done now with their other film this year, Guardians of the Galaxy, is introduce a third universe within the Marvel continuity, which is continuity, which is the Marvel Cosmic Universe. And, and it was very funny. When Guardians of the Galaxy was first announced, and right up until the premiere, there was a lot of pre-release derision from many, many corners in the fan and critic universes together. A talking raccoon and a walking tree? What were they thinking? And Marvel comes around and blows them out of the water with the funniest, most ex exciting space fantasy since that little 1977 film, Star Wars. <laughs> so you have now uh, the global universe, you've got the mythological universe, you've got the cosmic universe, and then it's still not done. They also announced in 2014 that there are a number of Netflix series about to start streaming in a few months featuring their street-level heroes. Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and eventually they're going to combine them all in a Defenders uh, Netflix series. And they have a fifth universe of Marvel heroes that they're about to premiere in the next three years. They're supernatural heroes with Doctor Strange starring Benedict Cumberbatch. This is a lot of various things going on. It shows great depth and breadth. And if they can keep the quality level up, and I think they can, they're going to dominate the box office for a generation. Yeah, they really are. It is amazing how they have taken over um, and use all aspects, I guess, of, you know, the new media and Hollywood um, to just dominate. And it is incredible. Well, that, and the varied storytelling, because when you look at Captain America, which is the dark political thriller where you have the World War II heroic values, against the war and terror and who's the bad guy and uh, questionable morality. And it, it's a, it's a fairly dark movie with someone with true value shining through as, as the central character. Guardians of the galaxy, you have people who have horrific backstories that they've all suffered very darkly. And it's a fun, feel good sci-fi movie. It, I mean, two very different genres and you know i timed it guardians of the galaxy kills off peter quill's mom faster than finding nemo killed <laughs> off uh yeah nemo's mom and i actually granted this this might sound a little dark but i actually got out the stopwatch and i timed both and in finding nemo nemo's mom is bumped off at about two minutes and 42 seconds and Quill's mom actually has an on-camera death at 2 minutes, 34.29 seconds. So it's, I mean, that's a record for Disney to take out a mom. You might as well have put her in a red shirt at that point because that was fast. Well, Marvel is very good at moving the story along. And, 
you know, that's one of the necessities here. They need to get the story into outer space as quickly as possible. And it's a nice touching introduction to show the little boy with his dying mom. But that's not where the action is. No, and they did it well. And they brought it back at the end very effectively as well. So just a And as you said, you have a collection of misfits, people who are really the walking wounded. This orphan from Earth, this woman who's been abducted and raised by this evil titan, um, a tree who's the last of his kind, and a raccoon who's basically been the subject of animal experimentation. And yet it's a funny, rip-roaring movie that audience loved, and it's the biggest box office hit of the year. I saw it three times in the theater. It doesn't get any better than that. Too true. I can't wait to see what 2015 brings for the Marvel Universe. Well, 2015 is going to show us uh, the next Avengers movie, Age of Ultron, where we see their version of Quicksilver, the Scarlet Witch, the Android Vision, uh, Ant-Man coming up in July, which I'm looking forward to not so much because he's Ant-Man, but because that means we get Giant-Man, who was always one of my favorite characters growing up in the 1960s reading the Marvel comics. 2016 gives us Captain America Civil War, Doctor Strange. 2017 brings us the Black Panther, another Guardians film, and the third Thor film, Ragnarok. 2018 is the female Captain Marvel film, The Inhumans, and the first of the two Avengers Infinity War films. This is a great time to be a Marvel Comics fan. It's just an awesome time to be around because all the books that I grew up reading in the 1960s, I can now see in high definition, on the screen, with great effects, great acting. It's just terrific. It makes me feel like a kid again. I mean, it's absolutely glorious to see. Take my money now. (laughs) And after the success of Guardians, no one's saying anything negative about Ant-Man because some people are like, oh, I don't know about Ant-Man, and no one's going, nope. We're going to let it roll, and we'll make a judgment then. Because it- I, I think they're, they're still feeling it because, you know, Ant-Man and, and some of the jokes, but you don't see as many people coming out and saying it loudly because they realize that they were ashamed by what happened to their predictions on Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. But before I saw the trailer, you know, they know their stuff. They understand good drama. They understand good characters. And they understand how these superheroes fit into our world mythology. Well, I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about in 2015 about Marvel. So looking forward to doing that with you, Jerry. Yeah, thanks. Me too. Excellent. Thank you, Jerry. Up next, our friend Jessica Bennett. And this is like the day of dueling Jessicas. And and for the record... (laughs) My, my mother changed her name to Jessica, so work that one out on your own. So, well, I'm not going to mess with Jessica, the stunt woman. I think she could kick my butt. So, uh, but see, you guys could prosecute me for it. So I am <laughs> my hands to myself. So I, I saw Jessica in action uh, at the first Geeky Awards, where you were Black Widow and, and did a fantastic job, and people can see that YouTube video. And we've interacted over Twitter, and so you've been yeah. a great fan, and it's great to see all the videos and everything that you do. Uh, you know action. I and, do. And <laughs> I mean, horseback riding, fights, you do all kinds of awesome stuff. Uh, in 2014, what were some of the best action sequences that you saw? 
Well, I'm going to have to jump on board. And not only is it a great time to be, if you're a Marvel fan, to be alive and be a Marvel fan, but for even if you're just an action geek, this is uh, the time to be an action geek. I mean, in 2014, uh, Winter Soldier blew me away with the fights. I thought, holy crap, uh, the fight coordinator that was uh, Chris Cornell. Um, let's see, we had Chris Cornell and James Young. Uh, the stunt coordinator was Andy Gill. And I mean, I watched those fights and I was like, I need to go home. I need to learn them right now. And I need to do these every day because they were just incredible. Um, and that just kind of like started off the year. Um, another, we had Godzilla. I mean, we had, we had monster fights, which was amazing. Um, and then I also have to say X-Men kind of blew me away. They had some really amazing stunts in there. And the story itself just really made my heart happy. I'm a big X-Men fan, and it was so much fun to see. Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, I felt like action movies became obtainable again. Um, and it's a movie that I know my, me and my husband saw it twice in theaters. We now own it. Well, we've probably watched it. 10,000 times by now, but it, it was amazing fights. You got to see a lot of your, the actors that you loved. Um, Zoe Saltana was kicking some major booty, um, which was really great to see after an action movie flop a couple of years ago. Um, and then you see James Pratt, I mean, Chris Pratt being amazing. Is it James or Chris Pratt? I'm like blanking out. Chris. Chris. Thank you. I was like, ah, I can't call him Andy from Parks and Rec. That's what I love him as. Perfect. Or, or uh, as one of my cousins says, he's a uh, cuddly sexy. So the cuddly right. sexy man. Um, you know, you just see these people that feel like you can be a part of it. Um, Spider-Man. Not my favorite story of all the Spider-Men. Uh, not my favorite. But the stunts were all practical. Um, they were all practical stunts done by the Armstrong team. And... I think that's it. Kind of got masked by some of the CGI, but when you kind of take a step back and realize that those that Spider-Man was actually flying through places, he was really doing that, and so I think that kind of makes it um, really cool again. Um, and then you know, then we have like Game of Thrones, we have Vikings, we've got broadswords back into the the spectrum, which I think is really exciting because. My background's in swords. That's how I started doing all of this. I never see sword fighting, so I'm really excited. Um, and last but not least, we've got Kevin Smith in Tusk. And I don't know who of you saw Tusk, um, but it was basically um, a man's turned into a walrus. Hashtag walrus, yes. And that, there's, there's, um, it's a scene of two men in walrus suits fighting. And, it's and is this Kevin Smith? You mean the director from Clerks and Marvel? I do. I do. I yep. I know it's crazy. I totally miss that, but I have got to see that. <laughs> You've got to. Uh, you can just look up on uh, Twitter hashtag Walrus. Yes, um, it was one of their. It was their podcast, and they thought they came up with this wacky story, and all of their listeners were like, "Make that movie," and so they did, and. Um, the movie is wild. It is terrifying. It's so scary. Um, but there's a walrus fight. And if for nothing else, it's a walrus fight done to Fleetwood Max Tusk. Do yourself a favor and just watch that scene. So those are kind of, that's a giant recap of my favorites in 2014. <laughs> wow. Talk about covering a broad span of action. <laughs>
it's a good time to be an action freak. It's so, it's so great. Um, and it's only getting better, especially for us stunt performers. Um, because it's nice to see women back in the spectrum and I'm actually, I'm like, Oh great. Some work. Great. So it's, it's a really exciting time. And, uh, and it's not small action. It's, it's big. It's superheroes. It's otherworldly. So it's really, it's really exciting. Yeah, and I'd forgotten, you know, this sounds weird because I mean, it was such a phenomenal year about X-Men and, you know, I did, yeah. I did two big blog posts about that because uh, of the great legal issues in it, but that was probably the best X-Men movie that yeah. they've had since the original. And it so, was better than the it, original. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. It was, it was marvelous. And it, I just remember thinking, ah, oh, wow, just what a good movie. You didn't need to, because for me, I'm, you know, uh, I'm a, I'm a, this is where I'm a bad geek. I don't know backstories very well. I didn't grow up reading comic books. I kind of got thrust into this world um, by playing Black Widow for the geekies. And ever since then, I just kind of showed up at things. And I've worked with Cypher Art Studios here in L.A. Um, so I've kind of been doing a lot of geek and sundry things and showing up all around it. And so I keep learning. But X-Men is one of those things that, you don't have to know the backstory. Each movie brings you back to it. But I really felt this movie was like a clean slate. Like you said, Josh, it's, it kinda, it's, it's bringing, bringing us back to where we started, and I'm so excited about it. They did a really nice job with it, and it was fun because mm-hmm. a lot of us felt very violated after Last Stand, and <laughs> uh, we were hurt emotionally. And then when uh, First Class came out, we started to learn that we could love again. And, right. when, and when this one came out, it was just like, hell yeah. Yeah. You're like, Phew. finally. Thank you. Finally. Thank you, God. <laughs> Plus, I mean, it's like their Nixon was pretty good. I mean, they, they did a nice job with it. Pretty and, great. And plus, all the actors are fun. So who are yeah. really – and it was a fun story. And so, again, dark – dark topic but they still worked in humor in a very good way and the fight scenes were great yeah i had i um after i saw i watched it i was like um can we just sit down and watch it again and i you know i think that's the key especially when you're dealing with big movie big budget action films if you don't want to sit down and watch it again you've made it a fatal error. <laughs> so here's, here's a connection to another action movie because of one common actor between them is uh, what, did you see the last hunger games film? I'm a little behind. Um, but the hunger, the first hunger games was really phenomenal and the hunger games is exciting for me. I also work out of um, Nashville, Tennessee and Atlanta, Georgia, and that's where they filmed a lot of those. So I need to get caught up, but that's some incredible stuff going on in there. Definitely. Um, I, I thought I would ask because I'm sure, you know, Jessica and I watch, and, and so does the judge, we'll watch a leak and anything with law in it and, and have a reaction. Of uh, using action scenes and stunts, I'm sure, you know, that kicks in your brain and your training on how they did that, how it was filmed, yeah. uh, all of that. What, ama- what amazes me about the Hunger Games is as soon as you throw a bow and arrow into something, man, I mean, filming-wise, that's really hard to do. Um, and you need a lot of money just to even CGI, like a bow and arrow moving, and then you've got to shoot it and then not kill anybody. So I feel like um, just at, on the standpoint of filmmaking, um, as soon as you throw crazy weapons, crazy situations – 
I mean, that's something the Hunger Games has really taken on full force and really succeeded is do really crazy things and really do it well and make it believable. And that's a beloved book. You know, you can't mess up. So they've done a great job. Oh, it's yeah. a beloved book and a dark topic, too. I mean, I yeah. actually resisted reading the book for a long time because of the idea of, but yeah, they have, uh, they did, they've done a very good job and the acting is great, obviously, um, of turning those books into some very compelling action movies that are sad, but aren't like impossible to bear. Exactly. Like it, it doesn't feel, you don't feel really gross for watching children right. die. You're like, <laughs> as soon as you think about it, you're like, Oh no, but it, it gets better as it, you know, they, they do. Like you said, they kind of allow you to kind of detach from that reality. Yeah. It's fantastic. It's like you, you let eight year olds get killed. Yeah. Oh, um, oh God. We, oh. Yeah. You are not getting a Christmas card. You are not. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I took archery in college, which oh. it was a PE course. And one of the things I enjoyed about the film is her hair is, you know, in a ponytail. So she wouldn't mm -hmm. scalp herself. While yeah. shooting, while she, and it's like, okay, that's great. I mean, that was one of the criticisms against Brave because. Oh, yeah, she would have gotten all. Trust me, I know as big curly hair, uh, this, this, this mane has to be tamed. So, um, yeah, I mean, they did just. And they weren't afraid for their actors to get down and dirty and ugly, which I really appreciate. Um, you know, I think one of the. Going back to Zoe Saldana. I think one of the things that hurt her in, you know, her mainstream action film where she was the lead is that she's a skinny, beautiful woman that no one believed could kick anybody's butt. And so I think, I think that's kind of where Jennifer Lawrence kind of is really shining. She looks strong. She looks like she could actually shoot that thing. And that's a-okay by me. Well, and turning back to Guardians, you, you know, you throw in Karen Gillian as well. And, yeah. you know, and the, the set photos from them rehearsing the fight scene, it's like rock. I mean, they put in time and, and uh, yeah. Jillian wearing a Mickey Mouse sweater while doing it was also endearing. So there's a, uh, exactly. Uh, it's like rock on. Rock yeah, on. no, it was fabulous. And I think to see Zoe Saldana actually kick some butt and do some really complicated fight choreography in Guardians. Uh, what really sticks out to me is uh, in that opening um, kind of fight with all four of them and they're chasing after the orb and like this town square, man, I, that it made me so thrilled and she pulled out some really great stuff. And I, I, from that point in the movie, I was like, I'm hooked. You've sold me. All right, let's do this. So yeah, absolutely. So looking forward to 15 because we've seen some of the previews. We got some comic book movies coming out. What are you looking forward to? Well, you know, I got to say, I'm really looking forward to Star Wars. Um, I know it's going to be a ginormous CGI fest. And as a stunt performer, I, I kind of, there's a part of me that's kind of starting to hate CGI because it's kind of taking my job away or masking the job, just like it did in Spider-Man. So, um, but man, did I grow up with those movies. And so I am ready to see some lightsabers. I'm ready to see people's heads get taken off by, I'm ready for lightsabers. I'm just ready for all the lightsabers. Um, uh, you know, I'm excited to see um, how things develop. Um, like Ant-Man, there was some controversy, like this, the original uh, stunt team was, I don't know if they were fired or if there was a lot of headbutting. So um, Jeff Haberstad, the Haberstads ended up coordinating that. So I'm really interested because the stakes are high. 
um, for this, this world. And so I'm really excited to see how things keep going, how they keep upping the ante because the Fizzy Winter Soldier, man, I don't know how you're going to top those and you've got to. The public has already seen those. And so I'm really excited to see kind of what's in store for stunt performers and what's going on because I really, I'm with everybody. The next decade is full of these. And so what, what's new going to happen? You know, maybe we do this next year and I'm like, this new piece of technology exists now because of these movies. Um, so I, I think that's what I'm most excited about in 2015 is the unknown. Um, <laughs> and Star Wars. I'm so excited. I can't, I can't deal. So I'm excited. <laughs> I, well, that's, we all are. And uh, <laughs> more on the, I, I think, uh, the judge will be able to, uh, highlight the importance of, of, of Star Wars in just a moment because he, he embodies it so perfectly. But uh, yeah, everything you said, I, I agree with. And it sounds like you enjoy the surprise because if Star Wars has the and I am your father moment, you know, like we need to hear people shriek in, in horror for something like that. So it's, it'll be good. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Well, Jessica just gave a wonderful segue into Judge Sherino. So, Your Honor, let's talk about Rebels. Star Wars Rebels, specifically. Yes. <laughs> the, uh, the, there's been eight episodes so far of the uh, Star Wars Rebels cartoon, which is the first of the cartoons that's on the Disney Channel, as opposed to uh, where, where it had been uh previously and uh, I think it's doing a, a, a very good job. It's supposed to contain several uh, Easter eggs towards the movie which is coming out in 2016 as was just said and, and, and also on what Jessica mentioned with the CGI there's actually in the new movie a, a concerted effort to have less CGI and, 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 and they want to go back to the old school model feel in fact, most of us, when we, we had the podcast about the trailer, one of the things that we really liked was that, that robot that was uh, kind of circular in shape. We now have a name, he's BB-8. Um, and, and I think we all assumed that BB-8 was CJI. And it turns out that, that at least from interviews with, with uh, Luke Skywalker, that uh, the, the BB-8 was actually a, a real model droid robot. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see on, on that fact as we're all excited as, as the movie's coming out. And Rebels is going to be the lead into uh, that movie. And I think it's going to establish some characters possibly um, that might find themselves into that movie, whether um, that's the, 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 the Jedis that they find that are still existing uh, that weren't wiped out in Order 66. One of the main characters uh, of the cartoon is uh, Canon Jarrus, uh, who's kind of the, the trying to be the leader for uh, the little 15-year-old that has force powers and is now his Padawan. He was a Padawan himself when Order 66 came along, so he's kind of had to self-raise himself in the force powers to some extent, and he's had some assistance with some holograms and, and, and other training manuals that he has, but He's now taking the task of trying to train Ezra 
to become a, a Jedi himself. And on, on, on True Geek Notes, uh, he, he's, one, he's, he's being voiced by Freddie Prince uh, Jr., who was in Scooby-Doo and, and uh, who's married to uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So <laughs> we come full circle always with, with these, these, these uh, geek uh, conversations. But, you know, he's kind of trying to find himself. And one of the ways I think people find themselves is when they become a teacher. Uh, and he's struggling with teaching someone that's not the easiest of students, uh, who's kind of raised himself on this planet. And it's a very dark, almost like Hunger Games, uh, type of atmosphere where the empire now is fully in control. Uh, and they really are making that empire into uh, the type of fascist, Nazi type of analogies. When they had Empire Day, we had the banners with the, the feel of, of those kind of movies that you would see of, of Nazi Germany. Um, and, and you do have that overwhelming, you know, everyone's reporting on everybody, everybody's watching everybody, everybody's being monitored. So you, you do have that feel for uh, the, the empire that they're really establishing. That the movies, you know, you knew the empire was the bad guys, but really more than that, you didn't really know. Um, you know, you, you didn't get the feel of why were they, why are they considered the bad guys? Um, and and the, the Rebels cartoon is, is doing a little bit more to establish what it is that is evil about the Empire uh, to give justifications for the Rebels to be doing what they're doing, which is the, the rebellion. And yeah, they are pretty sinister in their enforcement of the laws because everything seems to be treason. You know, if you don't have a seller's permit to sell fruit on the street, it's treason and you get sent to the gulag. If you, uh, they don't have a police force, they use the military for police actions, which is terrifying. So it, it is a pretty draconian, hardcore uh, legal system, if you want to call it. Yeah, that. I mean, the, the sentences seem to range from uh, heavy prison to being sent to a slave prison colony to execution. Uh, you know, the, the, the Empire, I don't think, is a big fan of, of uh, community service or rehabilitation programs. Um, and, and so, you know, if, if you do something wrong in your court and they don't execute you, uh, you're probably going to be sent off to a slave labor camp. Um, so there's definitely the, the, the feeling of uh, an overwhelming amount of order. Uh, as opposed to uh, the chaos that the, the the light side of the force, some people, uh, is a little bit more chaotic in nature. Yeah, I enjoy it. Watching it makes me feel like a kid because they they took the one line from A New Hope while CP3O and R2DT were getting ready to enter the escape pod, and 3PO says, we'll be sent to the spice mines of Kessel. And in the first episode, I mean, that one little throwaway line, and where do we go in the first episode? The Spice Mines of Kessel. And so it is, it's like a beautiful love letter to lifelong geeks. And you just watch it, it's like, oh, that was so nice that they, they're pulling things in. And I would dare to say, from a certain point of view, neither uh, of the main characters are actually a Jedi. Therefore, there's a good chance they're still alive throughout the, the next three, because... Correct. And I, I think that there, there is a chance of that, and I think we might see more of that. 
and, and clearly the writers of, of this cartoon are fans because uh, they do have those homages to great parts of, of the movie. And, and, and the Disney empire that is also now uh, heavily involved in this, uh, as in all things Disney, and, and I don't in any way mean this to be a bad thing, I think this is a great thing, the commercialization of, 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 of the Star Wars is in full uh, mode. The, the stores are packed with Star Wars stuff again. Uh, my, my wife's not that happy about that, but but the the, the you know I was in Walmart today and there's you know there, there literally was like a four foot high Darth Vader um, that made its way into the cart, which was then taken out of the cart. But you know there, there's lots of great stuff to buy, and, and 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 even to the point of the Star Tours ride in Disney, one of the early episodes of the a cartoon had that pilot robot that runs the Star Tours um, that was never part of the movies. He's now been in this Rebels uh, cartoon. So, you know, the, the Disney, who has taken a firm view of what is Star Wars canon, uh, again, not making me too happy with all of the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of, of books that I've read that are no longer matter, but the, 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 the whole aspect of having a timeline and a canon that will flow and follow, I, I understand that. And, and Disney wants control of that, partly for marketing, partly for some uh, storylines, and so that there's not contradictory storylines. And, and I think this Rebels, which is canon, uh, is going to have a lot of great storylines that are going to become books and uh, other things that'll fill in the gaps of, of the, the movies. Uh, might go into a standalone movie, um, and, and it might lead into great Easter eggs for the the, the great 2016, uh, 2015 uh, December uh, release of the movie. Yeah, uh, I couldn't agree more. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see a 45-year-old Ezra uh, in, or actually more like a 50-year-old Ezra uh, in uh, episode seven or eight, because it's just, I mean, mathematically it would work. So I agree. I couldn't agree more. And I mean, watching the last episode where Frank Oz, you know, had his uh, voiceover cameo, uh, it was just like, it's Yoda, you know? <laughs> and the fact that he was willing to come back to, to lend his, his voice. I mean, it, it's not a monetary issue with, with Frank Oz. Uh, you know, it's, it showed that he, he either respects the project or he's happy that, that all of the new energy towards the, the new movies is out there. And, uh, you know, I, I, too, because just hearing that voice, it's, it's, it's like no other. I mean, as much as people try to do the other voices, and I think Disney and, 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 and the prior cartoons have done a great job of capturing the voices of, of the actors. Um, there was something special about hearing Frank Oz as Yoda. I, I agree. Well, it sounds like Rebels is kind of filling the same role we just discussed with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., where it gives some of that kind of the deep background for the hardcore geeks who don't just want that superficial movie-level detail and information. They want the whole story. Without, without a doubt. And, and, and yeah. That's what it, it's, you know, it's the true fans that are going to watch the cartoon. It also captures, you know, as a, I don't think that the cartoon, that the necessary demographic is a 46-year-old judge. I, I'm going to think that it's probably 9- and 10-year-olds or 8-year-olds. Um, so it is capturing those kids to get them enthused about the Star Wars universe. Maybe they then want to watch the movies. Um, 
if their parents haven't done a good job of, of showing them those movies when, as they're supposed to, um, to get them <laughs> into the Star Wars universe so that when the movie comes out, they want mom and dad to take them to the movie if for some reason mom and dad aren't Star Wars fans already. Reason to call Child Protective Services. Like, how dare you not show the kids the right order of the Star Wars movie? How dare you? So, uh, it's, it's a brilliant... I, I look forward to 15. And uh, they said that they, they're just starting to film the first standalone. And they've kept it really secret on what it is. Yeah, there's and, been all kinds of rumors as to whether it's going to be a, uh, a Boba Fett standalone. It, it now, the, the, the latest crop of, of rumors as that, that seems to be getting the most traction is it's a young Han Solo um, to be played by... Um, the the uh, the character from Breaking Bad, um, uh, whose name is Aaron right? Paul. Yeah, Aaron Paul. Wow. To, to be playing the young Han Solo, and 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 I look at that and say, wow, that that could be really really good, because um, I like him and, and and I think he was great in, in, in Breaking Bad, and I can see him as playing a mischievous young scoundrel uh, who grows up to be Han Solo. So. That, that seems to be the latest rumors, and, and uh, so I haven't heard anything contradictory to that in, 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 in a while now. So I'm thinking that might be the first standalone. I don't care. I'm just glad that we're going to get one, and I, I can wait. Uh, I'm okay waiting for movie magic. I like being surprised, so we'll see. Let's see what happens. But well, listen, this, is, this has been fantastic. Uh, Jessica, any closing thoughts for 2014? No, I think it was obviously a great year for geeks. Um, I think 2015 looks like it's going to be another great year for geeks. So I'm excited about that. I want to thank all you guys for everything you've done for the Legal Geeks um, over the past year. And uh, we certainly appreciate it. Along with Josh, of course, thanks for all your hard work doing all the heavy lifting. So thank you. Thank you. And so again, Vivian, Jerry, Jessica, and uh, Judge Shrino, thank you all for your time. And Excelsior. <laughs> <laughs>